Our opening words this morning are from the Swedish author Frederick Bachman. In his book, I was corrected on the title of this book by one of our librarians, so now I'm very nervous that I'm going to get it right. A man called Ove. Sort of. She's giving me a sort of look. So, so Ove, Ove, oh boy. Okay. <clears throat> Loving someone is like moving into a house, Sonia used to say. At first, you fall in love with all the new things, amazed every morning that all this belongs to you, as if fearing that someone would suddenly come rushing in through the door to explain that a terrible mistake had been made. You weren't actually supposed to live in a wonderful place like this. Then, over the years, the walls become weathered, the wood splinters here and there. And you start to love that house, not so much because of all its perfection, but rather for its imperfections. You get to know all the nooks and crannies, how to avoid getting the key caught in the lock when it's cold outside, which of the floorboards flex slightly when one steps on them, or exactly how to open the wardrobe drawers without them creaking. These are the little secrets that make it your home. I invite now our West Het to share our opening song. Tonight. 
Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Karen Schofield Leka. My preferred pronouns are per and pers, shorthand for person. And I'm so glad you are here this morning. Visitors and guests, we hope you got a blue name tag. I see a few out there in the, in the room. And that helps us to welcome you and to also be available to answer any questions that you might have this morning. We certainly all love talking about this community and why we love it so much, and we're eager to hear what it is that you've come looking for among us. Please join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and social hall. And also, please consider sharing your email with us. There's a gold slip like this in your program. And um, we send out a weekly update about activities for the week ahead, and you are invited to participate in all of them. And you can... Um, Put that in the collection basket when it passes later this morning. I want to remind everyone to please silence your noise-making devices um, so that everybody can be fully present this morning. But while you have it out, feel free to check in on social media. You can let your friends know you're here, and maybe they'll join us here in future or online. This time, I'd like to call Ellen Post forward to read our statement of purpose so that we can hear our shared values in each other's voices. And Ellen is a representative of the, oops, sorry, hang on a second here. I seem to have, here it is. A representative of our Living with Intention group, representing perseverance, our theme for the month. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. If you're new to our community of children and adults, we warmly invite you to join us as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Ellen. And as Ellen lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candlelighting words which you see here on the screen. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion the light of understanding, 
and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this bell in solidarity with people around the world, and today especially holding on our hearts the dreamers. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Please ease your body by making your posture relaxed and comfortable. Close your eyes if that's also comfortable for you. And breathe. This morning, we will engage in metta meditation. From the Buddhist tradition, this style aims to cultivate loving kindness, a heartfelt aspiration for unconditional love of all beings. The practice consists of repeat repetition of phrases like, may you be happy, or may you be free from suffering. The scope of meditation gradually increases, at first focusing on oneself, then loved ones, then others, especially those who are difficult to love, and finally to all beings. Last Sunday, Zeb Green did such a meditation in words, and this week we will do so communally in song, and so we'll invite you to join in.
May all be filled with loving kindness, a favorite meditation of mine, and easier to say than to live. (laughs) But it is a good day for it. This is our annual Pay Attention to Love Day, a tradition created under the leadership of Mary Herman when she was here as community leader and leader for congregational life and one that I appropriately love. (laughs) It's always the Sunday before Valentine's Day, except for those, what is it, every seven years when we manage to hit Valentine's Day right on the head. And the idea really is to crack open that holiday a bit, to spend a whole day thinking about love, but not just romantic love, as we imagine associated with the holiday, but every kind of love. Over the years, we've celebrated Pay Attention to Love Day in different ways. Some of the old school folks still wear red on this day, a tradition from years ago, which I am always happy to bring back. There's never anything wrong with a fashion-based tradition, in my opinion. In the last few years, we've had cookies decorated by our children that we've enjoyed together. And this year, we're adding a dance party at 1 p.m. Come on in and get your groove on for five minutes or 30 minutes, however you like. Ways for our whole community to celebrate what love means to us. And so this month, as we have been exploring perseverance, of course, I wanted to bring that theme, that idea, to our celebration of love and, and so I asked for some stories from people. We did this back in October as well as we explored the theme of courage. We invited people to send us their stories, ways they had been courageous in their life. And both then and now, I have been so deeply honored to hear and read the stories that you have shared with me and through me with this community to share a little bit of reflection as we go along, but honestly, your lives share so beautifully that I don't want to add too many words. Now, here is the caveat. These are individual experiences, right? Each one of us knows in our own contexts what is right for us and when to persevere in love. Not every relationship is meant for us to persevere through. And that insistence actually on prevering, particularly in romantic relationships and especially for women, has been damaging over the centuries and millennia. So I want to offer that caveat. There are also several stories shared about parenting, about persevering in love and parenting. And um, I want to cut off right at the pass any mommy wars, right? You know, there's no one right way to parent. So I invite you to hear all of these stories with that in mind. And I want to thank Jared and Johnny, who are providing some musical breaks as we tell these stories this morning. So, you know, I loved um, the show Glee. I listen to a Glee playlist often when I'm walking in the morning, and, um, and, and I love the music, but it makes me sad that Kurt and Blaine aren't in my life anymore. Um, you know, Clayne, the greatest love story of all time. Um, I love Glee, and there's one song that always makes me think of the show and all of the arcs of the music and the drama and the persevering love in that show, even though Journey sang it first. So we have 
burst in today our little anthem of persevering love. free to sing along in your head or write out loud if you are so moved. <laughs> As I collected these stories from all of you, I realized that the hallmark of persevering love wasn't actually that the love stayed the same. In fact, the hallmark in most of these stories is that the, the love, the way it showed up in perseverance is that it transformed and so I invite you to listen for that. I'll start with a, a story of friendship, romantic love and friendship. And I, I was thinking of this as I read um, a collection of essays um, by Scotchy Cole called One Day We'll All Be Dead and None of This Will Matter. <laughs> it's a great series. I recommend it. Um, but she has a little line in there. Your life's greatest heartbreaks, she writes, are so often your friends. Dating isn't always built for permanence, but friendship is. So one of my Facebook friends sent me this story. She wrote, my ex-fiance and I definitely have friend love that perseveres. We were friends when I was a teen. He was a fixture in our family. Uh, basically, she put it, a fribbling, a friend who becomes like a sibling. Although later they started dating, so not that much like a sibling. Um, I realized I should have said that differently. We started dating years later, years later, and got engaged after a year and a half, and then unengaged after another year. But we stayed friends, and he made sure to introduce me quickly to the woman he thought he would probably marry, and indeed did. He ended up being a brideside attendant in my wedding, and my husband and I were on his clearness committee, which is a Quaker practice for his wedding the following year. I did the email communication of status when he had heart surgery so his wife could focus on him. Years later, he and his wife asked me to be their doula during her labor because he was undergoing chemo, and they wanted someone they loved and felt comfortable with in that experience. We don't talk often, she wrote to me, but we always, always have each other's backs. We love each other dearly, and despite that breakup years ago, despite life getting challenging and busy for each of us, we'll be there. We've known each other now for 38 years. Now, that might be the most connected ex story I have heard, really getting to a doula at your ex's uh, um, labor and birth is pretty intense. But I know many of us have some kind of relationship with exes in our lives. I often think, in fact, about my first boyfriend with whom I had a deep and meaningful relationship, which lasted for one week, which was like my record at the time. And that week included an ice skating adventure with a group of friends. So, I mean, it was really intense, you guys. I think back on that week-long boyfriend with whom I'm still sort of peripherally connected. And every time I see him post on Facebook and write about how he's a feminist and, and what he believes and holds as his core values, I think I'm so glad that was my very first boyfriend. I'm so glad that we had that week together. <laughs> 
that that started me off on my romantic life. Another friend wrote to me about a different kind of story. She wrote, I've always known I wanted to be a mom. I thought for a long time I had to be a wife first. I'm so grateful I snapped out of that mindset to listen to my heart. I'm also grateful to live in this day and age when being a single mom by choice is not so unheard of. She sent me a picture that she said was the picture of perseverance in love for her life. And it just was a snapshot of her month-old baby. month-old baby was beautiful, but those of us who have had babies somewhere in our lives know that it is not always a particularly beautiful experience. Julie Grimes sent in a reflection about persevering in the early um, months of parenting, particularly as she was struggling to breastfeed. So I'm going to put my Mommy Wars comment in just one more time here, which is to say that some parents are able to breastfeed and some are not for any number of reasons, because they're not the biological parent, because they take medication that makes it not safe or not possible, or because they need to concentrate in some other way on their own care. So, right? We've all got that. For Julie, though... It was a core part of that early parenting journey. She writes, Breastfeeding was really hard. My nipples cracked. I got thrush. I cried. Caleb cried. I had oversupply, so Caleb, that's her son, Linda Blair spewed all over everything. John, her husband, literally passed out, as in fell onto the floor from lack of sleep and low blood pressure. I resented this little thing that was attached to me all the time. I smelled like sour milk all the time. I couldn't wear anything I really liked because the clothes weren't breastfeeding friendly. And she notes, for someone as vain as myself, that alone is torture. (laughs) We really want to take a moment to think about Julie in that time. That's hard, Julie. As I sat there and cried, she wrote, I don't think I can do this. My husband, John, said, well, you better figure it out. You don't have a choice. (laughs) That may sound harsh, she said, but it was what I needed to hear at the time. And I persevered, and after a few months, it got better. It got easy, and it made a lot of parenting easier for me, too. Julie actually goes on to describe that it was because of breastfeeding that she ended up finding West. She'd gone to every La Leche or support group meeting she could possibly find because things were so bad. And through that, she met Sonia Coopers, who then ended up, um, through Sonia, she met Bailey. And through Bailey's Facebook post, she came here to her first platform. There are a lot of things I gave up on in my life. Julie wrote, but I can't imagine how different my life would have been if I had given up on breastfeeding. For me, this story makes me think about the role that we hold for each other in perseverance. 
you know, the role that our friends and our families can take and that we can take for others in encouraging them to persevere. I think about that often in my closest relationships and particularly in some of the couples who have gotten married at the same time my husband and I did, you know, and sort of grown up together in marriage and with children. I think about the encouragement that we offer each other to keep on going, the safe places to be able to say, gosh, my kid's really driving me up the wall today. I don't know if I can make it through or my spouse is driving me up the wall today or my friend is. Think about the ways that we invite each other to persevere. And remember that piece about transformation too the changing nature of persevering love. What does it look like for us to honor that with each other? To witness when love changes and shifts and invite perseverance. A friend wrote another reflection a reflection about what family means. She wrote, I picked up a bunch of my sister's friends after she died, including being in the inner circle of people supporting one of her friends who, were diagno- who was diagnosed with cancer. It's a different kind of love persevering, she said. People I didn't know and perhaps wouldn't have necessarily been friends with, but engaged with after we lost my sister and shared my own grieving process with them. We became honorary friends, and then through the love they had for my sister and the love I had for my sister, we ended up developing loving friendships with each other. Persevering love that transforms and changes even through and past death. Two parents wrote stories to me with deep similarities, stories of their love for their children, each of whom struggled and struggles with mental illness. Those stories are hard to hear. They are heartbreaking and beautiful. And I share them with you with a great deal of tenderness holding so many in our community who could tell similar stories about themselves or those that they love. One person writes, in third grade, my child was diagnosed with a learning disability after it became apparent she couldn't read. My wife and I scrambled and pulled all the strings we could to get her into the best school in the city for learning disabled kids. But beginning in her teen years, other problems surfaced. 
She was sent home from summer camp because she was cutting. She had terrible study habits and didn't do well in school. She became part of the rebellious crowd and outsider. Her relationships with boys were the most important thing to her. School was so hard that she dropped out, not even completing the 11th grade. My wife and I cried at all of these setbacks. I kept questioning what we had done wrong to create this deeply disturbed child. She was then diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and began dialectic behavior therapy, or DBT, which explained a lot and made me more sympathetic. She had a serious mental illness. My wife and I also took DBT classes to understand what was going on with her. We were told it would likely take years for her to get straightened out, to fashion a life worth living for herself. She showed progress, but her erratic, emotions-triggered behavior continued. It was always one step forward, one and two or three back. We were desperate to help her. My wife and I began attending Al-Anon sessions to learn how to cope with all of this. My child resented me for refusing to enable her, for not financing her latest whim. We continue, he wrote, to be alienated in that way. I long for her to call me, and she does so when she needs help or money or is in a great mood every now and then. I call her. She hardly answers. I leave messages and pray for a return call. My heart is broken with every setback. I console myself by remembering that she has a serious mental health disability. Before each rescue I offer her, I negotiate agreements, put them on paper, we both sign them, and she invariably breaks them. She's in her mid-twenties now. There are signs of hope. She got her GED and a series of jobs, and she's back in school. Not having good study habits, she got an F, three Ds, and an A in a course she liked in her first semester. It cost a small fortune in tuition. The beat goes on. The other story shared with me is from another parent of a child struggling with mental illness. For roughly six to ten years, this person writes, during which my family, having moved from a climate of snow to a desert, found that we were soon to enter a whirlwind that would test me, test all of us in endurance and hope. The storm didn't enter our lives dramatically, but rather came in fits and starts like tattered pieces of old movie film in a projector. Stops and starts and gray, fuzzy images between the laughter of happy times. What I'm speaking of is the entrance of mental illness. My lovely daughter, so full of action and joy, began to turn before my eyes into a raging and terrifyingly unrecognizable, small and disputable human. Six years and more is a long time to be lost. I was frozen, my daughter seemed caged, became threatening, was threatening, my husband withdrew. Some said I was incredible to endure this. Some said I should send her away. I did not feel heroic. I was barely afloat, but I would not abandon her. This parent talks about the 
years of therapy and drugs, hospitals, and doctors. And then she writes a sliver of light, the right doctor after five others, a place with other children, an organization that let her in and saw promise in her, the right school after innumerable starts and stops, the right medicine after a pharmaceutical catastrophe. Little by little, my girl became herself again. Not cured, for there is no cure as yet, but slowly a person of laughter, thought, even kindness emerged. She began to save herself by organizing to support homeless children, threw them parties, began a mental health organization to end stigma and support youth. There's no return, she writes, to the child she was before mental illness, but what has emerged is good and promising. Am I still afraid for her? Oh, yes. However, I am no longer frozen and submerged. I do feel as if I, too, am a different person. Those strict six to ten years stripped me of hope that is the kind of hope one has when you don't know the journey ahead. I was willing to go down to the depths with her. One can survive this. These two stories hold for me all that perseverance in love can look like. Beautiful heartbreak, no fairy tale endings, and sometimes not even happy endings. Actually, no endings, right? Which is the point. No matter how things continue in those relationships between the parent and the child and others like them, when we seek to love someone, to set boundaries, to support them through addiction or mental illness or any other thing that makes them hard to love. The love transforms and changes and perseveres. Someone wrote in about her relationship with her husband to whom she's been married for 25 years. We only discovered about five years ago, she wrote, that the conflicts we've had and have never been able to resolve over the entire time we've been together were directly associated with autism. We figured it out after our oldest was diagnosed. We knew I had some features of autism but hadn't looked closely at it. She writes about trying to modify her behavior, going through therapy, which only frustrated them, until finally they reversed course so that she could embrace her autism and open up about her traits as talents that needed supporting skills instead of failures to be suppressed. She writes about what that's been like for her husband. It's been like being in love with a moving target for him. He had fallen in love with and loved the complex, closely held, constructed mask I had developed as the interface to the real me. Now he was encountering the real me and learning to love that at the same time as I was trying to learn to love all the parts of me that I had hated or feared my whole life. 
the things I had been punished for, the ways I had been told I was doing human wrong. I am weirder than ever, she writes, and happier than ever by such a huge margin that it is surreal. It's been a wild year full of grief and delight, letting go of some things, learning to accommodate others, and he's still here. He had to let go of things he wanted from me because they aren't feasible. And he's also stood back and watched with amazement and satisfaction as things I hated about me have turned into superpowers. The things we hate about ourselves turned into superpowers. I think about our reading that we opened with this morning, the creaky house that we learn to love. <laughs> The way loving another person, a parent, a friend, a partner, a child, even a congregation or a community is like watching the creaky house, learning the steps better, how to walk up and down them just so. How, as Bachman writes, not to get the key stuck in the lock when it's cold outside. I close with a story from an ethical culture friend, not a member of this community, but part of our ethical culture community writ large. She writes about two amazing people who fell in love with each other for all the right reasons and remain in love because of it. One of them, she says, happens to be my firstborn child. Sarah and Emily met in their junior and senior year of college. Both were in the University of Missouri's Women and Gender Studies undergraduate program and both identified as lesbians. They were in several classes together. They volunteered at the LGBTQ Center. When their friendship began, they discovered they had a great deal in common and they shared many values and were passionate about the same things. It didn't take long before they began dating. For eight years, their relationship blossomed. They graduated, found jobs, moved in together, began building a life together. When marriage equality became the law of the land, they began planning their wedding, which took place a few months later. Sarah has shared that some of the most attractive qualities she saw in Emily from the very beginning were strength, bravery, adeptness with power tools. I will say that is a very attractive quality and other qualities that are traditionally viewed by many, including Sarah, as more masculine traits than feminine. So when Emily decided in the winter of 2014 that he would be transitioning to male, Sarah was completely supportive of that decision. It seemed like a totally natural progression, and they were equally excited about it. I've watched the two of them navigate their way through Emerson's transition with so much love and caring. It's difficult to put into words. Not once have I ever heard Sarah call him by the wrong name or refer to him with an incorrect pronoun. When Emerson underwent gender-affirming top surgery, Sarah was right there beside him the entire time, taking care of his physical and emotional needs and supporting him every way she could. As Emerson finished up his graduate degree, he was the victim of some transphobia at his former workplace. It delayed graduation and caused them both stress and took a great deal of money. It was truly a thing of beauty to watch as they supported each other steadfastly and got through it without a blink. Now they make their home in downtown Denver, Colorado, where they are enjoying successful careers and love exploring their new city and state. Every time we spend time with them, we see their love grows deeper and deeper over time. 
So many trans couples don't make it through transition. It is one of the most gratifying experiences of my life to remember, to witness the way these two have handled and continue to handle it. If persevering love is about love that transforms and changes, this story is both a prime example and a total opposite, right? In one way, nothing about this love changed over the course of the transition. In other ways, just as with the husband whose wife discovered that she had autism, so too there is a a need for a spouse here to completely reimagine a life together and what that might be like. Someone recently told me that he thought humanists weren't that into love. I think it's the idea that it wasn't rational enough for us. You couldn't prove it or quantify it, perhaps. Too magical and mystical. I embrace that magic and mystery fully. There's nothing rational about it. The love we have for romantic partners, for friends, for parents and children. The love we have for all of humanity that we invite ourselves into in our loving kindness. Love that perseveres is heartbreaking and amazing, transformative and transforming. It almost never looks like the Hallmark movies say it should. (laughs) Not only because it includes many more people than Hallmark puts in their movies, but because it encompasses our whole lives, the allness of us in the world. That kind of love has perhaps no rational reason. And yet that, I think, is what we are invited to celebrate today. Happy Pay Attention to Love Day. May you see it transform and persevere around you everywhere you look.
It's the help that we give. It's the love that we live. It's the pride in the friendships we form. It's the courage we show facing things we don't know. It's the way that we weather the storm. If you try to stand tall, but you slip and you fall, in the earth is the sound of the stars. Truth gets revealed when we're broken and healed. Every heart is made stronger by scars. It's not how long the rain falls or how hard the wind blows or how deep is the snow in the road nor the balance we fake when we feel the ground shake and we think that our world will explode. It's the help that we give. It's the love that we live. It's the pride in the friendships we form. It's the courage we show facing things we don't know. It's the way that we weather the storm. So go on your journey, be bold and be brave. Be lions, my friends, and be strong. And when it is such that it all feels too much, then remember the words to this song. It's not how hard the rain falls or how hard the wind blows or how deep is the snow in the road nor the balance we fake when we feel the ground shake and we think that our world will explode. It's the help that we give. It's the love that we live. It's the pride in the friendships we form. It's the courage we show facing things we don't know. It's the way that we weather the storm. It's the way that we weather the storm. This is the time in our morning where we have a response period, a chance for some of us to uh, raise your hand, take the mic, start with your name, and share a thought, a reflection, a brief story that relates to our theme and our talk this morning, something that you may take away in the week ahead. And so if you have something you'd like to share and you want to raise your hand, I'll bring you the mic. Make sure you hold it close and speak in so we can all hear you. <laughs> 